As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. It's two stars time. This is the weekly Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, it's fucking hell for Forest as Norwich show why they're in a different league. The run of rough fixtures continues as the Reds head to West London. There's own goals galore. And we'll ask, did they really play for Forest? Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Two Stars. Hello, listener. Nice to have your company again. It's Matt here alongside the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Hi, Paul. Good morning to you, sir. And also with us, as always, the big show himself, Nick Miller. <laughs> the big show? Oh, that's not, yeah, that, even I understand that one. Yeah, well, the, 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 the nice thing about that one is that could conceivably be just a, a general nickname. All right, big man, big dog. Big show, yeah, that'll, that'll do. But I presume it is that that is a wrestler. I assume. Yeah, he's just left uh, WWE after twenty years to join AEW, so he has to actually lose the moniker, the Big Show, now oh, because right. that is um, that is a trademarked uh, oh, no. name. So, and his real name's Paul White, so it's not quite as. Um... <laughs> well, can he be the medium show? The the, yeah. the slightly <laughs> larger than the normal show. The large show, yeah. The large. There's a seg. There's a segue here about Forrest being the shit show, isn't there? But I should probably <laughs> probably not make that and just move on. Uh, we are recording in the aftermath of Forrest's defeat against Norwich at the City Ground on Wednesday night. We'll discuss that further after a brief interlude designed to break up the monotony of three blokes talking. Forest nil, Norwich two then, and from the sounds of it, Forest were lucky to get the nil. Norwich had 22 shots to Forest five, the Reds mustering just one effort on target all night, and the Canaries flying on cruise control from the moment. Ex-Reds loanee Kieran Dow added to Timu Puki's early opener. Before we get to the game, can we offer David some comfort? He's tweeted the show to ask, is it too soon to use the term season unravelling? Injuries, bizarre team selections, absolutely no attacking threat, players criticising others in interviews, and the most passive manager ever. Hmm. Nick, can you offer any any kind of comfort? I said last night that this podcast was just going to be me sighing 
deeply for about half an hour. So, uh, but I'll, I'll leave it at that big side just there. Unraveling, I'm not sure. Uh, yes, we the the, the, the or, <laughs> while most of the things that um, he said there are correct. This we we all knew that this was going to be a bad run. We when you kind of knew that the chances are for us weren't going to get many points from this this run of games. So to, in, in that respect, it isn't entirely unexpected. Um, as we've kind of said before, folks probably got too much not to really get sucked into a proper kind of relegation scrap. But it is uh, in the kind of aftermath of such a sort of comprehensive 2 you know, one of the more comprehensive 2-0 defeats you, you'll ever see. And it was more the kind of emphasis of how far away Forest are from the kind of top teams in the division at the moment. It is difficult to get sort of too to be too kind of optimistic about things. Unraveling, I'm not sure. I don't think we're quite in sort of cracked badge territory yet. There needs to be some kind of there needs to be some sort of bust up before before that happens. But it's uh, certainly a well, it was a humbling experience. The game against Norwich. Not just the game against Norwich, Paul, but but actually, obviously, results dictate mood among supporters, but also how those results come about. So Forrest had got the late equaliser against Reading rather than the other way around and say on Wednesday night had conceded after half an hour and then another one deep into stoppage time. It would look different, wouldn't it? But the fact that Norwich had the game won after 13 minutes and, and Reading were well worth at least a point, that just changes things in, in terms of supporters' expectations and outlook. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say... I'd say two things, really. The first thing is that this Norwich game on its own was always going to be a barometer for how far away Forest are from uh, competing with the very best in the division because Norwich are the best in the division by some distance. They're head and shoulders above everybody else. Chris Hewton said last night that they're, they're perhaps even challenges for being the best championship side ever, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, certainly on the current run that they're on. And you you wanted to see Forest go toe-to-toe with them and find out how far they were from being able to compete at that level. And the answer was a long way. It was, you know, to be blunt, the gap is quite big. But I don't know realistically what else we were expecting. Had Forrest won the game 1-0, had they somehow ground out a victory, I think most people, to be honest, would have been, it would have been a surprise result. They never looked like getting that. But their problems aren't anything new. Nothing that we saw last night was anything that we weren't aware of before. They're very solid defensively, they're well-organised, they're disciplined, they give very little away, but they're in the middle of a goal drought. They can't score goals. Once Norwich went 2-0 up, you realised that that, that Forrest, they had a mountain to climb. I hate that cliche, but it, it really was that bad. They haven't scored two goals in the space of a game in eight previous fixtures. So to do so against Norwich felt very, very unlikely. They 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 did create one or two chances. Ryan Yates had his customary uh, missed header, bless him. You know, Lewis Graben had his usual uh, missed one-on-one, which he didn't miss very often last season, but this season seems to be underpinning his entire campaign. It was all very predictable and all further evidence of the problems that Chris Hewton has to solve if they are ever to have any hope of competing with teams like Norwich. They have to find a way to score goals. They have to find a way to convert their chances. They have to find a way to not have to be in a blind panic whenever the opposition score, knowing that they're unlikely to get back into it. That's the only answer to it. Nothing was new last night. We, we kind of, Forrest went up against one of the best teams in the division. And if we're entirely honest, what you expected was what unfolded. There's a lot of work to do. We've spoken about the lack of goals a lot in recent weeks, Nick. What seems different about this game in particular, and, and something you pointed out, was, was the game plan in terms of how passive it was. Here's, here's Barry, who's tweeted us to say, 
I've never seen an opposition have it so easy. They conserved energy for 60 minutes. It was embarrassing. It was almost like both sides kind of accepted it at the point that it got to 2-0. Is that, is that a silly thing to say? I'm sure no one at Forest would kind of admit to accepting the 2-0 defeat and obviously make substitution, attacking substitutions in the second half. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the concern was that um, about the game last night was, you know, Chris Hooten's has made Forest generally very solid and you know defensively uh, well organised, but that that wasn't that didn't seem to be the case certainly for the in the opening stages last night. Forest were you know as we've said incredibly passive. They sat back to defend but didn't defend very well. It was it was they were just somehow managed to sit deep and try and defend, but also managed to be incredibly open. I think you know Norwich were would have been, I think, probably quite disappointed to only score those two goals in the first twenty minutes or so. The attitude was almost, well, you know, we, we'll we'll take a we'll take a defeat, but we'll try not to take a beating. And I don't know. While we did all expect it, that's n- that's not a kind of a particularly inspiring um, game plan to take. I mean, uh, you know, should also caveat this by saying I think Hutton is generally speaking doing exactly the right things, and he's, he's what Forest need at the moment, and. If the kind of the pattern of his career history continues at Forest, then this is the kind of season we're expecting. Consolidation, hopefully, a bit more next season. But it was the the fact that there was sort of seemingly in the initial stages, at least. I know things improved a little bit after half time. No real, uh, you know, ambition to do anything other than limit damage, which when you can see two goals in the first thirteen minutes, the plan didn't quite work. I don't think it's a anybody being passive or defensive minded I just think with Norwich you have a very straight choice they they're so slick in their passing so play with urgency and momentum and 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 purpose that you've got a choice you either try and press them really hard and get in their faces and they pass around you or you sit off a little bit uh and, and try and stifle them and it, it Forrest didn't do either they were caught between pillar and post they 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 didn't really press and they 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 didn't defend effectively either it, it, I don't think somebody tweeted before the game that Forrest had, had picked a team to lose, which just seemed bizarre to me. And I, I, I don't see it as being a, a problem with attitude or mentality or that, that Forrest went out thinking, oh, defeat will be fine as long as it's not too heavy. I, I just don't know how you do things against a team like Norwich. Tactically, you, you've got to pick a perfect plan and, and, and stick to it. And I, I don't think Forrest did that. I think they were caught between two posts last night and didn't quite do either. And for the first 20 minutes, as a result of that, they they, they were torn apart. They By by being perhaps cautious or uncertain that they were caught out. But I don't think it was any, you know, element of them being passive or lacking aggression. It was... It was it was bad, but 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 not not perhaps in that way. Let's talk about some players who who did and didn't play. Um, first, uh, a couple who did. Tyler Blackett, I think, was a bit of a surprise, Nick. But it, but as Paul points out, you know, Forrest have got three capable left backs, and he's he's certainly one of those. He's got plenty of championship experience. The, the other one was Luke Freeman over over Alex Mighton, which seems to be a consistent thing, and that that's the kind of thing. I think which supporters are railing against a little bit. Part of that, obviously, is because Mighton's an academy product, but also because Freeman hasn't really offered much so far. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I try not to kind of get involved in the sort of pylons about that the, the coalesce around certain players, um, which you know 
Paul, I imagine Paul uh, is much more familiar with whenever, <laughs> if, if ever he yeah. says anything positive about a, a player who's, you know, on the naughty list for whatever reason. But I don't, I, 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 I was excited about Freeman signing in the summer, but as far as in the, the, the games that I've watched anyway, and, you know, Paul may be able to um, contradict this because he watches post a lot more closely than I do, but he has offered virtually nothing I, I, or, or, or not, certainly not the kind of um, the what we thought he might when uh, he signed. The, the caveats are, of course, that he's been, he was injured for a lot of the season and he has been playing kind of probably out of position. His best position is probably in the middle. He's been playing on, on the flank, but I don't necessarily see that as a, as a case for keeping him in the team. I think he's now, he's now, kind of recovered from his injury and has been playing enough football for the the fitness question to n- not be quite so much of an excuse and you know again last night i, I you know he, he, he it's harsh to p- pick anyone out as being particularly bad particularly from the first half last see last uh, against norwich but i i don't get it i don't understand why particularly when um lolly and knockart were were unavailable. Why? Uh, well, Alex Mighton wasn't given more of a more of a chance when we kind of we knew that we knew, we knew that counter attacks were probably going to be the the kind of best uh, chance of of, uh, of actually doing anything for long spells last night. So it would have to me it would have made much more sense to play Alex Mighton on the wing than, than Freeman. But um, yeah, I. I, I uh, without wishing to group myself into in the uh, the angry people in Paul's Twitter mentions, I don't get it with Fruton. I don't get why he keeps being picked. It's strange you say that because last night, with perfect timing, I, I chose the moment of the pre-match Q and A on the Athletic website to. Uh, to, to, to defend Freeman and say, you know, look, he's been he's been a good player in previous times. Every time he's played against Forest for the clubs, he's been brilliant. He's bound to come good at some point. He's not done it so far, but, but you know, keep the faith and hopefully he'll start to show what he can do. And then, <laughs> you know, I, I actually would pick him out as being one of the worst performers last night. He was poor. But it is, it is tough, you know. How, how does a player, another player, and it's not the first one, who's previously good at his other clubs, come to Forest and suddenly become pants I know the, the the injury was a major factor but it just seems to be a tradition that the players come to Forest and and lose any any thread of ability that they previously had overnight it's, it's a strange one you know there's still a few games left hopefully he'll show what he can do I suspect Chris Uta won't give up on him but yeah I, I completely agree with most of what Nick said it would be great to see Alex Mighton given a chance not just through sentiment because he's one of Forest's own, if you like, but because he's a very good young player. And you imagine in the next sort of nine or 10, eight or nine games, there's an opportunity there to blood somebody who's still only 18 and, and give him an opportunity in the side to grow and develop. And it, it would be a shame to waste that. Uh, lastly, on the Norwich game, this is a, a recurring theme from last week. Here's Jordan asking, what did we think of the players' reaction after the game? For me, they seemed like they expected to be defeated and didn't seem bothered. But Lyle Taylor... Look really pissed off. Is there something in that? Does he want to go or is he annoyed with others? He's kind of uh, on his own island, I think, isn't he, Lyle Taylor? It would probably be fair to say. But is this just people looking for something that isn't there? I mean, they didn't have cigars and party hats on at the end of the game, presumably, Paul. (laughs) No, no, they didn't. It's a strange one. You know, when you speak to the players, they, they all talk about there not being any cliques or any you know division in the dress room and how everyone's together but then you look at the in the stand during the game last night and there were little groups of not the, the, the players that weren't involved were all sat in the stand and they're all sat in different 
groups. I'm perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but you do wonder how much togetherness there is there. You know, Joe Worrell is is always very straight talking. He's always very honest. He's always very blunt. And after the game the other weekend at, at Watford, he, he delivered a very straight talking appraisal of of how he thought the rest of the squad and himself included could be a little bit more brave. I mean, we spoke about that a lot already, but I, I wonder how that does go down in, in a dressing room that do people sit there and look at themselves in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm not doing my job, he's right. Or do they say, he's talking bollocks, he can do one. You know, how, do, how what is the reaction to a, a speech like that? Do, does every player react well to it or is it cause problems in the dressing room? I don't know. Not to labour the point, Nick, but this is a problem inherent with having a lot of lone players and having a, a reputation as a club that is transitionary in nature in that you come and stay for a season maybe two if you're lucky and then and then you look to try and go somewhere else yeah absolutely and it's we've 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 talked about this before on the on the podcast as well it's just very from a supporter's perspective it's very difficult to get excited about players who you suspect aren't going to be there next season and i imagine that's kind of amplified within the dressing room not just with the individual players themselves because there's always a temptation to to think that you know the players will will say, well, it doesn't really matter if the, the uh, if this team I'm playing for currently aren't any good because I'm going to be somewhere else next season. But there's also the idea that the, the it, I don't know you may be less likely to fight for or bond with your teammates if you think that they're not going to be no not going to be around next season. This is a you know, it's obviously a problem with a, a lot of football league clubs that you know. The, the, mainly, probably teams are slightly um, slightly smaller than, than Forest, but you know, players generally don't sign longer than two year contracts, two three year contracts. So the, there isn't the kind of long term um, thinking behind everything. And yeah, it, 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 I, I'm, I'm always very reticent to kind of judge things. Uh, you know, things like the, the mood of a squad from things like how annoyed they looked after the final whistle. Because it's it, it always calls to mind those kind of, you know, you see those newspaper pages after England get knocked out of tournaments where you know Raheem Sterling has cracked a smile or something like that, and the headline is Sterling laughs just hours after England's ignominious defeat or something, or whatever it is. So it, it it always seems a little bit ridiculous, and you know you, you know you, you kind of read into what read into those things what you're already thinking it's you know classic kind of confirmation bias kind of thing but it it must be incredibly difficult to um to have any kind of togetherness or team bonding in a situation like this paul spoke earlier on in the season about how the the circumstances around the just just the circumstances around coronavirus where where players aren't able to socialize in the way that they usually would sam allardyce has has, has talked an awful lot about that uh, coming in for West Brom, I mean, you know, he could be just be making excuses because they're terrible. But th- the things he usually does to when he comes into a, uh, a a struggling team, you know, takes the takes the players off on jollies somewhere or team bonding exercises or whatever it is that this kind of weird old fashioned alchemy that he does to improve struggling teams. He's just not been able to do this season, um, and to to a uh, uh, that and that kind of feeds into one of the problems that Forrest are having as well. Jolly with Sam Allardyce does not bear thinking about. <laughs> uh, right, there's no let up in the ferocity of Forest forthcoming fixtures. High flying Brentford next to test the Reds. We'll look ahead to that game next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Forrest visit the Brentford Community Stadium for the first time ever on Saturday as they take on Brentford in the Championship's early kickoff. It's live on Sky Sports if you're in the UK. Uh, Paul, let's start with some team news. Bree Samba and Joe Worrell both missed out against uh, against Norwich, as did Joe Lolly. And certainly for Lolly, it looks like it's a, it's a long-term problem. Yeah, it's really sad for Joe. He's, you know, I think he'd admit himself that he's... He's not quite reached the heights he's capable of consistently, at least this season. It's been a bit up and down for him. Uh, and he was just starting to, to to show what he can do again. Even in the exact game where he got injured, he, he was starting to look bright and run at people and look like he, he meant business and could, could cause some damage. And it's a real blow for him to uh, to miss out for the rest of the season now. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I'm finding too much of a half full cup here but I wonder if you know just having a bit of a break and uh, you know being able to put his feet up between now and the end of the season and rest up because he has got this uh, I forget what it's called now it's not quite shin splints but he has got this compound uh, muscle injury in his in, in his shins that, that has really hampered him it, st- it hampered him at the end of last season and at the start of this one uh, he did have an injection to kind of cure it and that helped a little bit but you wonder if some rest might might help him uh, get over that and be back to the the Joe Lolly that we we all know and love next season. Hopefully, beyond that, Anthony Knockhart and uh, Samba Chris Hutton said last night that both have got a chance of of being back in the side this weekend, which which would be a boost. Joe Worrell, that uh, you can't help but love Joe when when you find out that he actually played at least one game with with broken ribs before he finally mentioned it to somebody on the physio staff that he was in a bit of pain and they checked it out and discovered that yes he had got a cracked rib, so, so you'd never rule him you know, maybe strapping himself up and getting back in the action this weekend. You never know with Joe, but certainly he'll be back after the international break, I would have thought. He's very much modelling himself as a, a 2021 Stuart Pearce, I think is um, is Joe Worrell. He, he's a throwback, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. On, on Joe Lolly, Nick, I wonder if not just a rest from physical exertion, but a mental break might do him some good too, because it, it looks like things have been weighing heavy on his mind as well as his hamstrings this season. Yeah, and he, you get the impression that he is one of those players who does sort of not not maybe takes things personally is 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 slightly too dramatic, but he he certainly takes a lot of kind of pride in his own performances and the team's performances. Not you know obviously not that any other footballer doesn't, but um, to go from I know we've been talking about how transient um, the the squad is, but him being one of the longest serving players in the Forest squad playing for Forest for that amount of time must you know the, the, the chaos in the club must kind of take its toll after a while particularly in the you know a couple of seasons ago he was 
maybe not Forrest's only um, uh, attacking threat, but he certainly carried a lot of the sort of pressure and expectation. So there was the sort of psychological pressure to do with that. And then added to that, the, the pressure of trying to kind of find that form again. The idea that the team might be relying on you, particularly a, a team with as much expectation as the size of Forrest must be incredibly exhausting. So yeah, like you say, a few months to kind of clear his head and rest his legs and uh, m- maybe have that uh, have a bit of time for those um those shin problems that Paul was talking about to to heal up a little bit more so yeah hopefully at the moment it feels like we're just constantly looking forward to next season almost writing the 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 kind of rest of the games off this season but yeah, like the rest of the team, if he can be kind of mentally and physically fresh for next season, that's more important than him slogging through a few what will hopefully be quite meaning, meaningless games for the rest of the campaign. In terms of Brentford, Paul, chucked away a 2-0 half-time lead at Derby in midweek to, to draw 2-2. Their form has been a little bit patchy of late. Defeats at Coventry and, and QPR, amongst others. Is, is it potentially a good time to be playing them I mean maybe not a good time but a better time to be playing them than, than when they were really firing a couple of months ago yeah possibly uh, and Forest do you know they, they seem to do better away from home lately as well I, I, I don't know the precise home record off the top of my head but I think it might only be one win in six or seven at home uh, but but away from home they, 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 they seem to do a little bit better perhaps it's because you know, they're a bit better suited to, to playing on the counter-attack and in a similar way to Sabri Lamucci's side, really. What worries me about Brentford is is Tony. You know, uh, Forrest tend to, whenever an opposition striker is in good form or has scored a lot of goals that season, he, he, it somehow seems to be the way that he only ever adds to that tally when he faces Forrest. We saw it with Puki last night and, and their, main, their main challenge this weekend is going to be to find a way to shackle Tony. Uh, he's a very, very good player at this level. What a signing he was. I think if Forest or any other championship club for that matter could sign anybody this season, it'd be Peter Briscout in network because whenever they, they lose a striker, they seem to find another one from somewhere who tends to be another world beater. Uh, you know, if you ever want a striker, I'd just start looking at Peterborough's squad and see who they've got because it's just a seemingly a never-ending production line of, of very, very good championship-level strikers. Forest actually could do with another striker this summer. That's one of the priorities they're going to have to address, I think. So maybe maybe that'll be a good starting point for them. And maybe they'd look at Brentford's recruitment policy as well, mm. Nick. I mean, it's it's pretty controversial in that they don't have an academy per se. They, they have a B team. But in terms of the players they bring in, you know, they, they lost Ben Rama and Watkins in the summer, but they had Tony in place to go. He scored 27 of their 64 league goals, which which might suggest they're a little overly reliant on him. But he was there was a market for him last summer and, and they just got in straight away and got him. And, and it's that kind of decisiveness, which maybe Forrest have, have lacked in recent years. Hi, Camille Grzycki. <laughs> it's the decisiveness <laughs> and it's also the, particularly if you are a player in League One coming up to the Championship, Brentford are just the perfect team to play for because you know that the... The coaching is going to be good. The football is going to be good. Um, they have a, a record of, uh, you know, improving players that come in for the lower leagues. And then they have a record of, you know, selling them on. That, that, you, that the, those kind of players know very well that they're not going to be, you know, kept there against their will or anything, anything like that. That is the kind of the way that, um, that Brentford work. So... Uh, even if, let's say, for for the sake of argument, Forrest, while uh, I, I believe Forrest were sort of, you know, uh, alerted to the possibility of signing 
Tony last season and uh, last summer and, and and didn't really make much of a kind of particularly concerted effort to, even if they did go and offer him more money than Brentford. If I was him, I would still have chosen Brentford just because you knew that that was the smarter career move. You might get promoted with, you, you know, you have more chance of getting promoted with Brentford. And if you didn't get promoted with Brentford, you, there was every chance that someone in the Premier League might might sign you the, the, the following season, which, you know, whether that's going to happen with Tony this season, we're not sure. It will certainly take an awful lot of money to, to sign him, given that what Villa play paid 27 million, something like that, for Ollie Watkins. But yeah, while it is frustrating that Forrest weren't in the kind of um, in the market for Tony in particular, it's understandable that he would have chosen Brentford over over someone like Forrest. In terms of the Forrest team selection for this game, Paul, uh, Munich and Madrid have tweeted to say, progress seems to have come to a halt following the derby draw. Seems to have moved away from the winning midfield formula of Cafu, Garner and Kravinovic that had us playing a lot quicker and actually showing some encouraging green shoots. Well, would you expect maybe go go back to those three? And in particular, Garner seems to have become a really important player for Forrest in a very short space of time. Yes, he, he looks like a very good addition indeed. And of all the loan signings and players that are out of contracts, if you could sign, if you had to pick one to sign for next season, it would it would be him straight away. You wouldn't even need to think twice about it, I don't think. Uh, he's been very good indeed. Kravinovic is the key to what has just been said there, I think. He, he started off... Looked very bright, very neat and tidy, added some urgency and, and slickness to Forrest's play, but he did fade off a little bit. I could kind of understand why he was left out of the side uh, because he, he, he just dipped in standard a little bit. Uh, but if you can find a way to get him back to what he did during the early days of his loan spell, then then absolutely having him back in the side could make a real difference because that was arguably the, the best midfield trio that Forrest have had in a while. You know, Cafu and Garner seem to be a good blend. Cafu has a bit more dynamism than... He perhaps gets credit for. He gets around the pitch. He's he's busy. He's he's not shy about putting a foot in if he has to. And um, you know, Kravinovic was just a really good link between midfield and attack, and uh, just made Forest tick in a really understated way. So if they could get back to to that little unit playing well and and you know bringing the players around them into into play, then then yeah, that that would be a a great starting point for hopefully an an improvement in form. I'd certainly be thinking about bringing Kravinovic back into the side this weekend and and maybe giving Mighton that chance as well. You know, I was a little bit surprised he didn't get brought on earlier than he did last night. But if 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 he... You've got nothing to lose by giving him a chance. And I, I, I wouldn't understand why they wouldn't give him a run out just to, just to see if he's the one that can provide that little bit of unpredictable creative spark. If 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 you were an opposition side and you were up against uh, Mighton and Amiobi down each side, you... you as a starting point, you wouldn't know what they were going to do. So, you know, that, that's that's a good place to be in if you're on a wayside. Just uh, on that midfield uh, trio, I, I, th- I think it's possible that I might be to blame for that. I assume Chris Hutton listens to the pod and takes its kind of tactical tips from from it. But yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was um, you know heavily advocating for Ryan Yates to uh, mm. f- be found a place in that midfield somewhere. And uh, that's happened in the last few games and he's been pretty terrible so you know my fault sorry about that everyone <laughs> well it's gonna be fascinating to see when paul tweets the team news at eleven thirty on saturday who's in and who's out just remember guys paul doesn't pick the team <laughs> no. Chris nor am i ryan yates's agent by the way <laughs> <laughs> i can oh, either confirm or deny yes. that 
Some, somebody <laughs> accused me of being rather closer friends with him than that last night as well. So, you know, <laughs> that, that was pleasant. <laughs> Good old Twitter. Uh, right, next, some much-needed levity. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Now, as Paul pointed out in his piece for The Athletic following the Reading game, Forrest joint top scorer this season, joining Lyle Taylor on a whopping four goals, is a real OG. Own goals, that is. Uh, it's a shameful statistic, but it's one that gives us licence to discuss some of the best own goals for and against the Reds in recent years. Um, Nick, I- I'm sure that you thoroughly enjoyed having a look at this uh, yesterday. To tell, tell us some of the ones that you've come up with, please. I did, yeah. Well, the, the my favourite remain uh, favourite of the goals own goals that I've been around for remains Gary Charles um, playing for Derby against Forest in '93. Stone gets in. Here goes Collymore again, trying to get between the keeper and his defender Short, who reacted coolly. Oh, and he's gone in! What a remarkable goal! Steve Stone will take the credit. That's a quite astonishing goal. Gary Charles against his old team kicks thin air, but he has helped, really, Forest forge a two-goal lead here. It's an awful defensive error. Charles knows it as much as anybody. It was the one of the early uh, beanback games, do you remember those, where they, they erected a, a big screen at City Ground and um, uh, and re- replayed the, the game as we sat in the, the, um, the executive stand? I mean, yeah, I... I, I, I in latter years, I felt quite sorry for Gary Charles because obviously that's pretty much the worst thing that can happen when you're playing for um, playing against an old team for their local rivals. But at the time, I found it unbelievably hilarious. Um, <laughs> and what, one, uh, this is one I didn't realise actually. One of the, probably one of the most crucial goals in Forest history was an own goal um, in the last game of the 1976-77 season. Uh, Forest needed to beat Millwall to kind of to secure third place and promotion from the second division. Uh, Forrest won 1-0 thanks to an own goal by a player called John Moore, who I had had not heard of before this. Um, It's been mentioned in a couple of places, although I found it quite difficult to verify it, that that John Moore was actually voted Forest Player of the Year by um, <laughs> uh, by some some fans in probably the, the one of the local papers or something. Forest only won promotion by a single point that year, so if they'd have lost that game, then um, history might have been very very different. Uh, yeah, in terms of ones that, that have gone in Forest's favour, not as significant, but also 1993 against Grimsby, a five three win at the City Ground. Poor old Paul Futcher credited with the own goal. Simple back pass to his keeper takes a massive air shot and in it trickles into the net just delightful stuff um paul have you got any for or against forest you guys sort of went down the comedy and amusing route and and the the one that stood out for me there was the game earlier this season which kind of summed up everything that's good and bad about forest at stoke when we could barely see what was happening all round Uh, it ended up in a draw through two i'm going to class one of them as known goal because it felt like it, it it should have been uh it was uh 
Jordan Thompson. I had to write that down. Uh, he uh, he took the corner and Lewis Graben had his infamous, I'm going to duck under this ball moment. And the ball went in off, off Brees Samba. And then uh, somewhere between the threads of fog and mist, uh, Anthony Knockhart swung in across and, and James Chester converted to, uh, you know, give Forrest a, a point. And they'd created chance after chance in that game and should have scored, didn't score, and ultimately had to rely on an own goal, which is exactly why... Forest are in the situation they are in this season, you know, with own goals threatening to be their uh, their top scorer. Uh, beyond that, the, the one that stood out, and I, I feel bad for mentioning it because it, it was the the moment that Forest season deteriorated last season was was Nuno De Costa. Poor old Nuno chased all the way back. Final day against Stoke City, busted gut to get back and and try and and, and prevent the goal and end up putting it in his own net. And that was the moment that that season the season finally went down the shitter. To be frank, so. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, uh, that a painful, painful memory, but but one that, that that stood out, unfortunately. And you know, poor old Nuno, that was the only goal he ever scored for Forest, wasn't it? So off he popped. It's a quiz question for the next Athletic Forest quiz, I'm sure. Uh, I've forgotten that Nicholas Bentner scored an own goal at Derby for Forest, which was the only goal of the game in, in 2016. Um, plenty of people mentioning Des Walker as well, obviously FA Cup final 91 and the playoff semi-final in 2003. I'll always have a lot of love for, for Terry Wilson roofing one yes. at the city ground against Sheffield Wednesday back in back in 89. But maybe, Nick, the, the gold standard here is, is Mark Crossley at Ewood Park. Things couldn't get much worse for Forest. Oh, yes, they could, from Colin Henry's header. Crossley, own goal. For goalkeepers, there really is nowhere to hide. Classic kind of slippery hands norm era. Um, uh, if, if for whatever reason you, you, you listeners are too young to remember this, um, the first season that Forrest got relegated, 92-93, playing Blackburn, uh, Crossley caught a cross, I think it was, or saved a shot. Um, gathered it into his stomach, rolled over, and the ball squirted into the net. It was one of those where the the the, the most amu- the most amusing thing about it was the crowd reaction because the, there was the it was at Ewood Park, so there was a sort of the ooh and the slight deflation as they thought Blackburn's attack had failed, and then the kind of slight confusion uh, as everyone tried to work out what had gone on. As I recall, the Forest defenders were all kind of on their way out of the penalty area kind of going, okay, we've done our, done our jobs for this attack. Norm's got the ball. Let's let's take uh, our positions for the for the counter-attack. And then they all turn around to see the ball kind of gently nestling in the back of the net. Um, so, yeah, the, the, in terms of own goals kind of scored scored against Forest by Forest players, the traumatic goal standard is, of course, uh, both of those by Des Walker, but the other one was Alan Wright in the uh, 2007 playoff semi-final against Yeovil. Because I am so dedicated to this pod slash hate myself, I watched the highlights of that <laughs> uh, earlier on before we were recording this. I'd, I think I'd sort of mentally blocked out in my mind that Forrest were actually th- Forrest were three one up on aggregate with uh, nine minutes left, and at mm-hmm. that point, everything that possibly could go wrong did go wrong. Um, Alan Wright. It was a shot from outside the box that hit the post and then hit, I think, the back of Alan Wright's head. Or, or... Was he injured at that point or was, it, was that afterwards? And that, was, the... that, was, that was afterwards. He got injured in extra time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that then the ball trickled in and um, that, that was 2-1. Uh, Jovel equalised. Um, I'm not sure which way around this. I think it was just after they equalised that David Prutton got sent off. And then uh, having made all substitutions with 10 men in extra time, Alan Wright 
uh, did his hamstring, I think, and was just kind of left hobbling around in the place of the, the part of the pitch where he could do the least damage. And it all started from that own goal by Alan Wright. Great memories. Well, there I, didn't you go. To, I didn't want to delve into the misery too much. I, <laughs> well, I feel like I, ought I, to have I, done, I feel like I ought to have done more of misery hunting. No, well, I was, as I said, Paul, I was kind of hoping that this, is, this would bring us a bit of light-hearted relief, but then Apparently you brought not. Yeovil and now I feel worse than ever. Sorry. No, the, Bender, the Bender one was the interesting one, wasn't it? Because he, he almost scored two own goals in that one. After he'd scored the first one, he, he then rattled the bar with another effort. It, it was like he forgot which end he was attacking. Anyway, speaking of Nicholas Bentner, we're on the home stretch for this podcast, but you better believe there's still time for a quiz. Yes, it's did they really play for Forest? Over to our quiz master, Nick Miller, who will explain how this feature works. So this is uh, a, a famous footballer who had a brief slash not very memorable spell at Nottingham Forest. Five clues um, in kind of ascending level of, or descending, sorry, level of difficulty. Um, I will warn you that this is this is hard this week. I, I will be. Oh yeah, and they're normally so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so if Nick saying that we are bang in trouble. I will be impressed if you get this. I, just in general, I think, but um, but certainly before the before the fourth or fifth clue. Anyway, okay. I, I used I used to like you, Nick. I hope you know that. <laughs> <laughs> you can dislike me for the next five minutes, and then um, then after. Oh, I will. Okay, <laughs> first clue. Um, the manager who gave me my senior debut was Ozzy Ardiles. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, Paul, have you got anything? Nope. Uh, I know he didn't play for Forest, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's always better when there's a guest for every question. Stuart Nethercott. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not Stuart. It's a very Nethercott. satisfying name to say, isn't it? Really is, yeah. Nethercott. <laughs> Although it does sort of, if you weren't a Forest fan, you'd, you and someone said, "Did Stuart Nethercott play for Forest?" You'd probably go, uh, "Yeah, probably at some point." Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, clue number two. Uh, my Forest career was relatively brief. I spent just over two months online at Forest during Paul Hart's first season, sharing the pitch with your Gareth Williams's, your Jim Brennan's, and your David Brooks. Okay. First thought was Nicky Shorey, but that was Billy Davis, so it's a long time before then. Just before my era, there was literally the... Oh. Who did we have on loan in that sort of 02 to 04 period? Uh, it wouldn't be him because he wouldn't have been given his debut by Ozzy Ardiles. <laughs> uh, Just to give everyone oh. a little peek behind the curtains here, um, we have... Uh, recently switched to um, using a, a popular video conferencing uh, software to record this on, uh, whereas previously it was just audio. So I really am enjoying seeing the uh, despairing faces of uh, Matt and Paul <laughs> as opposed to just the, the deathly and confused silence when uh, trying to figure out these clues. Um, Paul, I know we're not really supposed to help each other, but I'm just fixating on Spurs players because of Ozzy Ardiles. I'm trying to remember, has he managed anybody else in England? Ozzy Ardiles. Oh, that's I literally what I was racking either. myself to think. I don't think yeah. he has, has he? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm trying to judge Nick's face now. Where is it? <laughs> uh, okay, let's have the next clue. Oh, unless you've got a guest, Paul. <laughs> have you seen my face? I... Come on then, clue number three. I think if you get it here, there's still some respectability. Okay, clue number three. I scored a penalty in that 1998 player final between Charlton and Sunderland. Okay, right. Oh, uh... God. Michael Gray famously missed the penalty in that shootout. Uh, he was playing for Sunderland at that time, not Quinn and Phillips, wouldn't have been. Mendonca. 
he never played for Mandonka was the one that I thought of because he did he get a hat trick in that final maybe he says uh, yeah. stalling and stalling uh, uh, oh gosh I can picture I can picture like seven of the players who scored I don't think it's any of them yeah I just can't stop thinking about Richard Rufus which is not the right answer so I'm going to stay away from him uh Carl Tyler played for Charlton as well, didn't he? But he never played for Aussie Adelaide. I don't know, do you, Paul? It wasn't Quashy wasn't it, it wasn't Nigel Quashy, he was a, he wasn't a lone signing, was he? No. No. And also didn't play in that Charlton Sunderland game. Well, there, there are only two minor flaws in that game. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Big show. <laughs> oh, alright, it's getting spicy getting spiky now. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, so clue number four, please. Clue number four. After leaving my first club, I signed for the club at which my father was a club hero, where I played under Frank Clark. Ooh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. I've got a guess. You've got it, haven't you? you you've done me. I don't, I'm not sure if I've got it, but I, I think it's somebody who I absolutely loved when he was on Loan at Forest. I thought he was brilliant for us for that brief period. Is it Nicky Summerby? It is Nicky Summerby. Yes! Yes, well done. Well done, indeed, Matt. Do you want, ha- Did he play for Spurs then? No, Swindon. Oh, oh, he managed Swindon, didn't he? He took him up, I think. Yes. Yeah, oh. oh, he, he, yeah, he, he didn't. Uh, Glenn Holland took him up to the Premier League, but Ozzy Dillers was just before that. Right. Okay. Uh, ah, good. Knowing knowing What's the answer that? now, do you want to do you want to have a go at what the fifth clue might have been? Oh no. Uh, <laughs> uh, go on, then. The fifth clue was going to be: I am still an extremely unpopular figure at Coventry after ending the career of Steve Froggart with what we're obliged to call a horror tackle. I scored one of my two goals for Forest against Coventry, giving it the big one to their booing fans, and then I got sent off. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. He was good though, wasn't he? Do you remember watching him, Nick? I yeah, yeah. He he, he, that that game, uh, I particularly remember that game against um, against Coventry because I think he scored a free kick from quite a long way out at the Trent end and ran kind of pseudo Adebayor style to the towards the Coventry fans to kind of quite distastefully, I suppose, give it the big one to them after they were you know booing him for his crippling of uh, Steve Froggart before. Um, and yeah, then then about ten minutes later, got himself sent off, which kind of rather prove their point, I suppose. <laughs> All right, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's see what the chaps have got lined up for athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Paul, how about you? I have finally, finally, almost got to the point where I'm going to speak to the. Uh... <laughs> this is a look into the journalistic process, listener. This is how it works. This is exactly how it works. Yes, the 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 feature on the Rip Jean and Luminous Trainered Polish Wizard is 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 on the horizon. Uh, there's also a piece about another. Uh, I guess you you would almost call him a cult hero of of the of the Billy Davis era as well. Uh, there's going to be another another piece on him on the horizon as well. And of course, I get to go to Brentford. It's, it's a bit hard to to fit stuff in around the uh, flurry of fixtures that Forest have. Hopefully we'll get some more interesting stuff uh, in the bag during the international break. But yeah, uh, hoping to to pin down the the ripped jeans. I'm, I'm going to ask him as well if he still wears ripped jeans and a leather jacket because that'd be glorious if he does. Are you not giving us his name because you're teasing it or do you think that we know it? No, you, you, I'm sure you know. There's only one 
Polish wizard, isn't it? Is it? It's Radoslav Majewski. Yeah, I love yes, that. Is, okay. yes. I really did. Um, so you're going to Brentford, Paul. Is this going to be the first time you've been to a new stadium in a long time, presumably? Uh, yeah, yeah, it will be. Uh, you know, but bizarrely, just with perfect timing before the uh, the lockdown began, I'd I'd started on the process of finishing the the whole the whole set of clubs because there's only three or four left for me to do uh, and and <laughs> the lockdown has somewhat put the kibosh on that uh, but but Brentford have kindly added another one to the list which I'll get to uh, <laughs> to tick off the, the best thing about Brentford or, or should I say the worst thing is that the the, the the old ground the press box was the tightest press box you've ever known if you're if you're the bigger than the size of a munchkin there was no way you were getting in it without you know they used to serve these lovely pre-match pies and sausage rolls in the press room if you had one too many of those you weren't sitting down for the match you just weren't <laughs> getting in the press box so hopefully the new facilities will involve a man-sized press box that can accommodate my gut without without any kind of you know agonizing pain midway through the second half <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame they don't have the um, the pubs on every corner as uh, as they used to. That was good. Um, Nick, I'm sure there's an athletic long read in uh, tight press boxes, but you haven't been working on that. What have you been working on? Well, Phoenicia mentioned that. I should no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I, I am kind of working on at the early stages of a lot of a kind of wide range of projects that uh, that um, that could go. Uh, go wrong between when they're supposed to be published now so I won't try anything specifically um, I will instead direct you towards something that has nothing to do with Forest that I've only had tangential involvement in uh, which was uh, the, a couple of uh, the very popular Galazzo podcasts which are about the history of Italian football presented by James Richardson, James Horncastle and uh, Gab Marcotti. The last one uh, that uh, they did was about uh, Ronaldo or phenomenal Ronaldo's years at Inter um, which was uh, it for 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 chaps like uh, of my age um, that I will never um, never tire of hearing tales of of, the, of uh, Brazilian Ronaldo. So uh, I, rec- I thoroughly thoroughly recommend that. Yeah, and it can only be a matter of time before Paul goes on that pod to discuss Roberto Baggio's move to Forest and, and why that didn't come about. Uh, by the way, listener, if you subscribe to The Athletic now, you can do so for a special price of three ninety nine a month for six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com slash forestpod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's The Athletic athletic.com slash forest pod that's just about it for this week do join us again same time next week for now though from myself from nick from paul and from producer ad thanks for joining us today we'll catch up with you again soon the athletic